Hi, I'm Donnie. I'm Trinidadian Costa Rican. Hi, I'm Rhonda. I'm Afro Honduran. And we are your your co hosts for Negra Negra Como Soy. Or I am Afro Latina. Every Tuesday, we'll bring you the insights, perspectives, and history of the African diaspora in Latin America. To educate, enlighten, and hopefully create a sense of belonging for you, our listeners and viewers. Negra Como Soy is brought to you by Cultures, the global multicultural magazine. Cultures celebrates cross-cultural identity because everyone should feel like they matter. Randa, ¿qué tal? ¿Qué tal? Hi, everybody. ¿Cómo estás hoy? Estoy muy bien. Sí. Un poquito frío aquí en Tucson. She's a little bit cold. Because, mm-hmm. see, and I thought about you the other day. Because, okay, y'all, Rhonda does not like the cold. And I was in Phoenix with her. She's in Phoenix, Arizona, USA right now. And I was in Phoenix with her. And I said, it's cold here. She's like, it's not cold. Yes. Today, it's cold. Right. <laughs> well, well, Rhonda, it's um, 30 degrees right now in Houston, Texas. And we don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Everything is shut down right now. No schools, stores closed. Right? Yeah, there's uh, a freeze going across down here. I don't know why I told them. I was telling my friends in Colorado, can y'all keep your weather to yourself, please? <laughs> I, don't believe it's, I don't believe that's the Colorado weather. Though I must say, I'm in Colorado right now. I will not be in a few days. I'll be in Columbia in a right. bathing suit. However, at the moment, uh, there is snow on the rooftops. This is the coldest winter I've seen in a while. It's still not that bad, though. The sun's out. I mean, I haven't really worn a coat, but it's not, you know, you're not going to stand out there without your coat for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so nice to see you all. Dr. Paulette, it's wonderful to have you back again. Hi, thank you for having me back. If you all remember, and if you haven't seen or heard her last episode about Not Parent Expected, we called it No Longer Latina, question mark. Um, You must go back and listen or watch. So today we're going to continue with that and talk to Dr. Paulette about her experiences with a DNA test and finding out that her parents weren't who they, she thought they were, well, no, one parent was, the other parent was not. <laughs> and um, the effect of that, and also this was her Latino parents. So, you know, how that changed her ethnic identity and how she's handling that, and then what she's done to make a difference in the world since then. So welcome, Dr. Paulette. Thank you for that introduction, Donnie. And, um, and you know, and I will share in terms of not just my experience, but this you know, tons and tons of people who are going through this. In some cases, it is turning out that it's both parents are not the parents. For people who had no idea they were adopted or were um, donor conceived, then very often it's not just one parent, it's two. Um, so it's, it's been quite the experience, but um, thank you. You know, thank you so much for um, bringing me on to talk about this because I think as the DNA, the commercial DNA tests become more popular, 
we're going to have more and more people having the direct experience like I did with, with the shock, with the surprise, what I call the DNA surprise. So, you know, in terms of, of, of your, your viewing audience, there, you know, there are going to be days when people either decide to take a commercial test for fun and have this discovery, or they begin to learn because they get contacted by someone who has made this discovery um, and saying, hi, I took a DNA test and apparently you're my half-sister or my half-brother, right? So I, I recognize now that it multiplies in terms of complexity when you have this DNA wow. surprise wow. experience. So, okay, tell us a little bit about your background, how you grew up and what it was like. Dr. Rhonda also grew up in New Orleans. And Dr. Rhonda, we just saw uh, Paula, Dr. Paulette's sister, who's going back to New Orleans today. Oh, wow. <laughs> or she can say no. Okay. You're right. She's back there somewhere. <laughs> we'll be sneaking out shortly. Uh, so, of course, I'm sorry. If, you, if you're from New Orleans, I have to I grew say. up uptown. So I went to school, school all over the place. So, um, high school, I was at Xavier Prep for my freshman year. And then I ended up at Rob Williams. For the last three years. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So my freshman year is at St. Mary's Academy, and okay. then I switched over to Marion Abramson. So yeah. <laughs> I can cut that part out, but <laughs> we know why I asked that question. Fantastic. So, so then, um, Dr. Rhonda, we know about that melting pot culture called New Orleans. You know, it's, and it's historical, right? It's, just, it's, it's historical, it's like a lot of Latin American, you know, countries where you had this, you know, people coming from all kinds of backgrounds. You had the slaves that were introduced to New Orleans and then you had just about every kind of country imaginable coming together. And so um, the, the culture, I think part of the beauty of the culture is that you can feel the French influence, you can feel the Spanish influence, you can feel the African influence, you can feel the Asian influence, where all these groups came together, and in, in many cases literally came together to form that's one great. culture. So, uh, so that's, that's the background that I grew up in. And then, you know, and most specifically was then in terms of my mother's marriage, her first marriage, to the person whom I believed to be who I was told was my biological birth father. So. How did you feel? Mm -hmm. I mean, I can only imagine how you felt when you found out that your father, who you thought was your father, and you did. You grew up with a stepfather whom you loved. I grew up with a stepfather, and I was not very close to my Martinez family. Yeah. I had, you know, I was around them some, but but not really. You think that was helpful yeah. when you found out that this was not your father? Not initially, because I was just so traumatized and so shocked. You know, um, I, I think I shared with you privately, Donnie, that um, I didn't realize that I hadn't been looking at myself in the mirror until one day I looked at myself in the mirror. And, you know, and I'm touching and examining, you know, like my eyes, you know, and then it dawned on me, I had been coming in, doing my morning routine, you know, washing my face, brushing my teeth, you know, putting my jewelry on, combing my hair, but not really looking at me as part of that, that traumatizing shock. Wow, so after you found this. I, I you know, I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't face what I was seeing in the mirror because now all of a sudden I'm going, um, all those Latino features I saw, 
all those Latina, you know, features that I saw, are they, are they there really? Right? Um, oh, wow. I have pictures of the new family now. I, I see my face in those pictures, right? There was a whole identity, you know, and I think I shared with you, I started calling it an identity disruption because I no longer really knew or understood what my identity was and how I wanted to reclassify how I saw myself. Now, how did your Martinez family take this? Okay. Well, ironically, and I think I shared also, but ironically, one of my Martinez cousins had called me before I actually took the test to share with me about the DNA test confirming the indigenous Native American ancestry percentages. And then she also shared with me that she was going to be doing a DNA test for um, my, now I call it my birth certificate father, right? And then the day I got my results, within minutes of me getting the results and recognizing there was an issue, she called me, right? And she asked me how I was doing, and I think, and, and I remember her asking me how I was doing, and I could hear it in her voice. And I told her I wasn't doing well. And then she said, well, I was calling to tell you I got my uncle's DNA results. And I remember going, oh, really, is that what he is now? Your uncle? You know, what happened to, I got your father's DNA results. But at that moment, I knew she was looking at his results and she knew also, right? And she did confirm that she had gotten his results back and that I was not in his DNA results. Right. And so we ended up agreeing because she was really close to him. We ended up agreeing that he should hear this from her as opposed to me um, in terms of his treatment because, you know, he, he's in his he's in his 90s now. Right. And so she she did let him know. And then she called me and she said, I was actually surprised because she knew we weren't that close. Right. She said, I was actually surprised. He had no idea that you were not his child. And he broke down crying. Aww. And then he wanted to know, how is she doing? Is she okay with finding this news out? Oh, that's... So he's now deceased, but um, he probably stayed more connected with me when he found out he wasn't my birth father than when he thought he was. Wow. That was an interesting shift also. So how, so, so he was more connected with you after, did he call you? What happened mm -hmm. next? Um, so for me, so, so that was early on. And then of course, um, like a lot of people that go through this experience and, and it's like going through the grief process or going through a trauma cycle. And for me, it was more the trauma cycle than the grief. I think the grief came much later for me. Uh, but I, I didn't go into denial. You know how to say when it first comes out, you go into denial. It was kind of hard to go into denial because I'm looking at this piece of paper that's telling me, right, that this this test says you're not who you thought you were. So I, I spent a good bit of time in that shock stage, right? That that numbness of having a new reality, recognizing that my story is no longer the same. And if my story is no longer the same, what is my story now? And so, um, and then as time went on and I wasn't doing really well, I got up in the middle of the night one night and went and sat at, I remember with my husband's desk and 
I had been exposed to a, a, a trauma model. And I took that trauma model and I started writing over it and adding pieces that helped me to make sense of my experience. Like a scientific trauma model. Like a, a scientific trauma model. And so then I called the person that had created and developed that trauma model and, and talked to them about it and said, will you go over with me to see if what I'm doing makes sense, right? Uh, to help explain what my process is and what I began to also look at using that model is and what are the stages and steps that I will be going through in this experience. And then I got invited to speak at uh, the very first Not Parent Expected, um, they called it a conference retreat. And I presented my model and I told them it was a work in progress and, and that I wasn't doing it through an academic institution, but this is something, I, a tool I had developed to help me make sense of my experience. And as I was presenting the model, mouths were dropping open, people were crying and sharing with me that how they were feeling was finally making sense to them. Um, and that in some ways it helped them to know, well, you don't want to wish this on anyone, like a lot of trauma experiences, right? But it helped them to know I'm not alone, right? And she just gave us something that helps us be able to look and see, A, this is where I am in this process, and that it's giving me hope that one day I'll look up and I'll, I'll be in acceptance. One of the things I put in the model was basically, um, and then to want to help other people who are going through this process. And they really love the piece of knowing that one day they'll wake up and they'll want to advocate for people going through this experience. So in a brief explanation, can you tell us a little bit more about the model? Would it help people or do you have to do a, have a whole session so people can understand? Because I, I can imagine there's probably some mm -hmm. listeners and viewers who are sitting here traumatized right now and, and wanting to know, you know, tell me, what is this? How can, how can this help me? So is there a way to briefly describe that? So, you know, with the, with the trauma model, I just go through, you know, the first stage is grief. Well, you know, some people, the grief is immediate and other people, the grief comes later. I realized my grief came a little bit later. But the first stage would be the shock for some people of the dial. This cannot be happening to me, you know, but it is. So the, the shock and the dial piece. And then um, I didn't put bargaining like you see in a lot of um, models. So as opposed to putting bargaining my my next step or stage was um coming to terms with this is really real right and then moving into um some acceptance right and of course for different people like with any kind of you know, and i really don't like to call it a stage model because i don't consider it a stage model i see it as more circular because you can be moving along and then all of a sudden you know you find out there's another sibling or you find out some other little piece of information there are people who end up finding out that their parent was raped okay so when you find out that you're a product of rape then you slide all the way back to shock you know, before you start moving again into moving forward. So I always share with people, this is not a stage model where, okay, I've gotten this part done, so now I'm here. And then I've gotten that part done, is that 
depending upon your circumstances, and you may skip over one of the the steps that I put in this this particular model. So I, I see it more as a circular, uh, but that one day, hopefully, as you continue to go through, that you will get to that stage of, okay, this is real, this happened now. Um, and so and now that I have accepted and worked with the fact that my sense of self is forever changed, right? And then getting to the acceptance of this is a new me. And actually, in the, and, and Donnie, I know you'll recognize the thing with the new normal. I end up calling that stage the new normal stage, right? That there's a new me and I may even like the new me better because you often hear people say, I always knew something was off, right? I always knew something was off. I had no idea that this was it. But I always had this nagging sense of something's not right. And you hear that over and, and over. And you and I discussed this because you had said that to me before mm -hmm. you found out this information that something wasn't quite right. But, you know, I, I think when we all think we know who we are, you kind of blow that off. Oh, I'm just a little different than my family, you know. Um, I know my ex-husband used to say, uh, hopefully nobody in my family was listening to this, but <laughs> he used to say to me, um, uh, oh God, they are your people, but they're not your kind. And for a while I remember, because I used to be like, what are you talking about? Like, these are my siblings, this is my family. And he was trying to say that I'm so different than the rest of them. And um, it's interesting though, because for me, I look exactly like my parents. So, you know, I, if, if I get a DNA test, back in something i don't i don't know what i would do i i don't know what i would do <laughs> yeah, one of my friends said well can you send me a picture of the man that you thought was your father right so i sent her a picture she went oh no excuse me you look exactly like that man <laughs> right and then I, then i sent her a picture of who i discovered was actually my birth father and she went on second thought you don't look like the other guy you look just like your birth father and so it's how the perceptions are is i think when for her, I think there was a perception of, but she looks like this man until she saw the actual person. And then she went, oh, I take that back. You look exactly like your birth father. Exactly. So I looked enough like the man I believed to be my biological father that I never questioned it. When I would go around the family, I looked around, I saw other people that looked like me, but as Dr. Rhonda knows, we have all kinds of looks and types in New Orleans, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, and then even though I found out I'm no longer Martinez, my mother has Portuguese and Spanish ancestry, right? So there is that still in my makeup, right? Um, but I saw a person whose parent was Latino when I looked in the mirror. And I think people- Until I didn't. I think people, right? we talked about this in the last episode, but you want to be able to draw those references and find an anchoring, right? And, and that right. happens as far as, you know, people seeing themselves or seeing you in other people when they need to. So with, exactly. with each of my kids, when they're with me, oh my gosh, your, your children look exactly like you. And I'm like, mm -hmm. wait, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and then dad comes in, they're like, oh, I mean, they still kind of look like you, but no, dad's face is just exactly. all over, you know what I mean? So 
Exactly. So, so, and I think, you know, we want to fit in. We want to belong. You know, in the, the whole TCK world, you know, a lot of it is about that belonging. Where do I belong and where do I fit? And so I had my belonging place even though I wasn't close to them. But in all honesty, I always knew it was different than like my sister that was talking before you got on, Dr. Rhonda. She was chatting with us for a minute before we got started. Is we always knew, well, this sibling has a different dad. So she's going to be different than us. And so it was always kind of accepted, well, you know, she's kind of not like us because she's kind of not like us. But then when I would go around my Martinez family, I never felt like I fit. But I wrote it off to, well, I'm not around them a lot. I'm being raised by my stepdad, right? And so I wrote it off to, well, okay, so I'm not around them a lot. So that makes sense until I met my birth family. And I was blown away because my personality, I just slid right in. And when I'm around them, I feel congruent. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm, you know, and, and again, a lot of people have this experience of, for the first time, I felt normal. Wow. Um, I have a guy that I team up with to, to train around this, and he is like 6'5", and red hair, and very fair skin, and very blue eyes, and his dad was like 5'4" and black hair and black eyes and kind of ruddy complexion. And that didn't mean that wasn't his father, but he said, you know, my whole life, you know, all my other siblings are kind of short and stocky and dark hair and black eyes like my dad, and then there's me, right? So when he finds out, and in his case, he started hearing rumors, right? But he said it was amazing, even though I heard the rumors, um, I was still stunned, utterly shocked. And then he did go to meet his birth family and, and all of the fellows are 6'5 and red hair and blue eyes. <laughs> and he discovers he's from a Scandinavian background, right? So it's like all of a sudden how I look fits. How I am fits more. So, because of course you still have all the other influences. Right, right. But there's something about it where when I did finally meet my new family, it just, you know... I felt like, oh, I kind of belong in this group of people over here. So there's that whole piece looking like, because we talk about this. So for listeners and viewers have, who heard Dr. Paulette use the term TCK, we'll put a definition um, down below of third culture kid. You've heard me refer to it before as well. And those are people who grow up globally. So they're culturally fluid and geographically mobile. I'm an adult TCK. Um, Dr. Rhonda has some TCK tendencies. <laughs> and uh, um, it really affects how you see your world. So for me, it's so you're, you're scaring me a little bit, Dr. Paulette, all the things that you're saying, because, uh, you know, I, I never really feel like I fit. And I know that's not the reason, but just some of the things that we talked about earlier, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I don't want to take one of these tests. But, um, but it's interesting because when you're around people who, for instance, family, if you grew up around your family, which I didn't for the most part, you can feel like you belong because these are your people, right? So if you don't belong there too, then where, right? So that feeling of not quite fitting because you don't think like growing up as a TCK, let's say in multiple countries, you may not think like the people around you. Often you don't. Mm -hmm. and, and it's even worse if you look like them. So it's a hidden diversity where 
people expect you to think like they do because you look like them, but you're thinking completely differently. So you actually are able to interact and feel more comfortable with the people who you think like than the people that you look like. Right? Right. And exactly, and I think in a way, Donnie, you know, hidden diversity in this NPE experience is you you grow up knowing I don't exactly think like everyone else. I don't, you know, there's something, I, I feel that something's different in me. I'm different. And so you start finding all the reasons for why I might be different, right? Um, and then you find out, oh, biologically, it, and we always have conversations around nature versus nurture in this group. Right, uh, I've become a firm believer in the influence of nature, right? Because I have some inherent ways of being that I'm learning when I do go around my new family is that that's part of my natural personality that came to me through the gift of DNA. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now it feels a little more congruent because I have the, oh, is that why I'm this way? Is that why I think a little differently than other members of my family? So, you know, you spoke a little bit to, and I'm going to take a second to speak about definitions right now. So um, people often wonder what's the difference between Latino and, and Hispanic. So Hispanic typically refers to language. So anywhere that speaks the Spanish language, which would include Spain, but not Brazil because they speak Portuguese, right? Um, and Latin or Latino usually refers to everything in Latin America, which is south of um, the United States, right? So, uh, including Brazil, <laughs> I had to keep I had to keep it straight in my head. And so I bring that up one because a lot of people aren't clear and use them uh, interchangeably, but two. Um, you know, so you still have your Spanish heritage, your, so your Hispanic In terms of DNA, yes. And right. uh, you no right. longer, in terms of DNA, have your Latin heritage. So from an ethnic viewpoint and for, from a way that you saw yourself and your identity, uh, your ethnicity, did that change at all? Was that a shock? Because I don't, you know, it's such a big point for me. I'm so proud of the fact that my father's from Costa Rica. So if, if that had changed, um, that's a change, you know, um, even though, as I shared during our last session, I did not grow up very much around my family. I still, that, that, that was part of my heritage. That was part of who I was and I embraced it. And I love that that was a part of who I was, even though my cultural experiences, my cultural milieu was not within a Latino context, right? but I embraced that I'm a Martinez and everything that I felt came with it. And what I did know was in my family, there was a lot of pride around being a Martinez, right? But when I realized that the one thing that I really embraced as part of who I am was not really, from a heritage standpoint, a part of who I am, that's where the identity impacts really did come in. That's where the identity disruption, because if I'm not that, and, and remember initially, I didn't know who the birth father was. That came later, right? So I had this period of time of feeling in suspense. And 
you know, Dr. Rhonda, you talked about the anchor. And my very first thought was, yeah, that's like somebody pulled my anchor up and I'm just out there drifting in the ocean with no destination because I'm lost at sea. That, that was the emotion of just feeling adrift of, okay, now I know who I no longer am, but I had a period of time then, who am I? Where do I fit? Do I have a family? And then in, in my case, I ended up having a cousin who saw me there and it said I was his first cousin. And he's like, you know, uh, you know, message, hi, according to Ancestry DNA, you and I are first cousins. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I laugh about it. And I wasn't laughing when I got it. But uh, and he and I are very close now. So that that's part of the gift is I have this new wonderful cousin who just happens to live in Houston. Oh, wow. That's incredible. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Right. Well, he's just been a wonderful gift. He, he helped stand by, you know, I had my husband on one side and him on the other side holding my hand while I, I tried to navigate this. And because he had access to the family, uh, we were eventually able to put the pieces together. Right. And then he, he made the introduction of me into the family. Right. And some people, the introduction is an absolute disaster. Mine is a mixed bag, right? But instead of me focusing on the pieces that aren't working, I, I, I focus on where I am accepted in the new family and learning about the family and um, going around them and seeing bits and pieces of me in there. So it began to help me re-anchor, yeah. right? That's so amazing. Um, and begin to say, wait, you know, the really actually kind of cool thing at this is at my age, I get to reinvent myself and I get to recreate it in a way that I like. And with the new family, I can grab the pieces I really love and not worry about the other pieces. And so it's all potential for me now. Oh, I like that. It's all potential. Well, it's all potential so as we wrap up, we have a few seconds left. Uh, what's next? Where do you go from here with your new potential? My new potential is I am working with other people who are going through this experience to help them better understand what's happening. I'm part of a project right now where we are trying to get the academic world um, to understand that this is a very real experience, kind of like with the TCK um, initially where people didn't recognize that this is real, this matters, and so we're doing it. I'm actually on a dissertation committee right now for a young woman who is doing her dissertation research um, on the NPE experience, and so we've been linking up with um, researchers that are beginning to take a look at this, and, and no big surprise, most researchers are catching how important the identity piece is in this, and so we're looking forward to getting more research and information out there, getting therapists um, trained to understand that this really is a very traumatizing experience. You know, I've been in this experience for three years now. And so, you know, my being able to say it's all potential, that's a three-year journey, right? This, this didn't, uh, probably the first year of my life I stayed in, in the state of numb, you know, at that, at that stage of, disbelief not not that i denied it but still disbelief that this was happening to me um, and so hopefully my next is to in terms of the npe experiences just to hopefully 
be a part of the movement, that this is real. Um, we've been told that it's being estimated about 20% of the people that take the um, commercial DNA test will discover that they are an NPE. That's a lot of people. Right now, that estimate is somewhere between one and two million people have made the discovery that they are not who they thought they were. Wow. That the parent that they expected to be their parent or parents were not. Well, I thank you, Dr. So. Perlet, and I'm so glad that your experience will serve as a resource for other people out there and that you've created this model. And I look forward to seeing what and hearing what you do with that because i know uh you do have a podcast coming up where you will tell stories and so mm -hmm. i look forward to hearing more and um and seeing all the people that you do help so thank you all right thank you thank you thank you thank you again for having me back i appreciate it and hopefully this podcast will serve as a resource for other people to know that they don't have to be alone that there are other people out there that get it, that understand it, um, and that there is a Facebook group for people who discover that they are NPEs. So uh, if you are one of the people out in the audience that's gone through this, look it up on Facebook. We right now have about 12,000 members in that Facebook group. Thank you, gracias. Thank you. Adios. Mm -hmm. Ciao. <laughs>